Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have G. Kofi Annan. He's a brand and experience strategist. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Glad to be here. Very excited to have this conversation. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you're doing, well, I think anybody online struggles with these days and having somebody like yourself to give us some advice and tips and stuff is going to be really interesting but maybe before we get into that let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up sure sure so i started off um so i was born in um accra ghana so that's in west okay. africa cool um, spend the early part of my um my life in back and forth between ghana and liberia okay. um, again in west africa and i always say that like looking back i look at those experiences kind of moving between the cultures and kind of um you know, between countries and cultures and kind of watching television, American television, or, you know, receiving in that in those those times kind of receiving recordings, videotape VHS recordings from my father with American <laughs> awesome. television when he moved out to the States really helped kind of shape my professional, my, well, my personal interests, um, but then also my professional career in the sense that, you know, really looking um, interested in how other people experiences are and like what drives people to make certain decisions. But anyway, so work, um, grew up there, moved to the States in the um, early 80s, well, mid 80s. Um, and again, total culture shock, you know, trying to figure out like, what is going on? How do people do things here? Really crazy stuff. Um, and then as I kind of moved through my to my prof professional um, side, Went to school in um, in Jersey City, New Jersey. That's where we moved um, when we moved to the states into New Jersey, Jersey City, New Jersey. Studied um, started off by studying design um, because I was attracted to art and design. Um, and then you know after a while, I you know I'm again I'm very I'm very hands I'm more of a hands on type person versus a sit in class and and sure, listen I'm to the same way. <laughs> so it's like you know I always try to I, I I always balance the well what I learned in class how can I have that you know how can I experience that so I started um, while I was in school I was uh, I had a few clients kind of local clients you know restaurant here you know from a design perspective just kind of helping folks out and kind of practical application of what we're learning there. Uh, and then, you know, one of the things, the conflict that I saw personally for myself was I really enjoyed a lot more of the hands-on. So the kind of the schooling, the, the class, at least the traditional um, college education format wasn't really working for me. So I did, I moved out to Atlanta in, um, in the U.S. and um, went, you know, did a, a, a accelerated course uh, uh, curriculum at the Art Institutes in Atlanta. The, um, one of the things that attracted me to that was that it was really focused on practical applications. So, you know, go out and, you know, and learn and practice design, practice creating, um, you know, it wasn't really experiences there, but practice creating products. 
and come back and let's have that conversation within within with your peers. So that really worked out really well for me to really kind of see both the understand the the um, the the structure and kind of the best practices from this from schooling, but then also the practical application as you know, we know that in, in environments or in the real world, things are really different. After I was from Atlanta, I moved back up to um, New Jersey um, after I graduated school there and then pretty much kicked off my, my, my professional career working with um, agencies. So I started off um, with Saatchi and Saatchi um, some years ago, uh, working on a number of their, their, um, and their kind of multinational uh, communications uh, creative agency. So I started off there, um, worked with, while I was working there, I also was also freelancing. So I was working with a lot of fashion and retail clients on my own, because that's kind of the the, the area that that um, I pr um, personally love um, working with kind of those kind of creatives. And then I moved from Saatchi and McCann. And, you know, again, I've kind of worked through the agency perspective, but then even more importantly, as I've, as I've, moved through my career, I realized that it wasn't really the design part of, of um, creation that I, I loved. It was really more about the facilitation. And so I, and I wasn't that much that good of a designer. I saw folks who were really good designers and it was like, uh, I could kind of put stuff together, but I'm going to leave that to those folks. Um, and, I, and I saw that where my strength really was, was in the facilitation. So how do I explain the problem solving that that creative um, creativity um, brings forth? How do I help help folks walk through the process of understanding what they're trying to offer? What are they trying to create in the world? How are they going to measure that? And then obviously the creation of that um, comes after that, right? So how do we, okay, so how do we manifest that in the world? And then... Um, and then see how it's working. So for the past probably about 15 years, I've been um, primarily focused within the um, strategy uh, context. So working with creative teams and clients and um, different brands, both multinationals and startups to help bring products into products that matter and experiences that matter into the world. Um, we don't need another widgets, right? You know, <laughs> um, so sure. it's kind of like, you know, a, 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 a company might want to bring something to the world. But you know, I, I feel like it's my job to help guide them as far as the relevance, the relevance within um, the current market, but then also the relevance of specific people, um, those who can um, benefit from it the most. Fascinating. No, I, to be honest, I think what you just outlined it is really, really challenging, like I mentioned before. And I think most companies, if not every company on the planet, struggles with that. So how do you work with a company and maybe give us some examples of how do you actually do what you do? Mm -hmm. Sure. So as I as I moved through my career, one of the things that I looked at and, you know, working with um, companies like Saatchi and McCann, you know, with, multi, you know, clients that are domestic and global. Right. Some of the things that I, some of the things that I saw working um, for those brands and brands that we all know, like Puma, for instance, I worked with them um, on their uh, World Cup campaign back in 2010, was, was really the attention to detail and more importantly, the, the process and the focus on the identity. What are okay. what does the brand start, um, stand for? What does the what does the customer identify as, and what they stand for? And to your point, it's that's the part that 
that folks tend to rush through because it is it's uncomfortable it's yeah. it's not as it's not as cut and dry as some of the more tactical you know if you i could just create a website you know like that's that seems easier and more tangible so folks don't a lot of folks inherently don't like having to answer the questions or understand their identity or define identity so it does become one of those things where i think a lot of folks could use help with um and process works you know process and structure which is something that that over over the years i've seen has really been impactful and i have a framework that i work work through called the um, smarter brand framework um you know having that process to make both walk people through a step-by-step -step process but then also make them feel comfortable that they're not just spinning right <laughs> you know right sure where, where where um folks just kind of get off the bandwagon and just like just i just need a website or i just need a logo and i don't want to do this other stuff <laughs> so that, that process is definitely something that makes people feel comfortable sure so can you walk us through that framework because well i have it up in front of me i, I actually think it's quite fascinating how you go through the different circles and the things around that so i i know it's hard to talk about something visual just audio only but can we at least try <laughs> yeah, sure of course of course of course and yeah so as i mentioned it's called the smarter brand framework um and it's a it's a distillation of my experiences in the past 15 or more years what I've seen work, how the kinds of questions, you know, it, it's it's very detailed, but um, primarily it's focused around four um, key areas. Okay. There's the essence, which is, you know, more of kind of the identity, the kind of the, how do how does the company um, identify themselves? What are their values? Those kinds of things. Also looking externally as well. Um, who are the people that we want to engage, whether it be partners, customers, audiences, you know, what is their identity? And we know that that changes you know, even more rapidly these days, but, you know, so kind of having that sense of, okay, what is the essence of what we're, what we're dealing with? And then obviously um, for, um, for startups or even some, um, a lot of uh, uh, new brands or new initiatives, it's that, that product itself, like what have we created? And so what is like, what, what is that, what are we trying to do? Um, and then, so that's the essence. So what are we trying to do? Then as we move through that, the next um, section is that I work through is the expressions. So okay. if we know what we're trying to do, then what are the stories that we're trying to tell around that? How do we communicate that? What are the marks? So, you know, kind of visually how we, what are the things that we're bringing to life so that people, people get it, right? So it could be logos and all those kinds of things, but really like, how are we trying to express um, this in the world so that people get it? Because again, especially in, um, in this um, time and age, People have a short attention span and they need to, you need to tell a story succinctly and people need to get it. So I, um, the second part of that uh, framework is those expressions. And then the next uh, section, the, um, the fourth part is the experiences. So now that we know what the stories, what we're trying to do and the stories and the visuals that we're trying to do, what are the experiences that we're trying to create? Right? What are events maybe that we need to be involved in that, that we're able to find those people what are the environments? And we could talk a little bit about, you know, how those, like the environments change. You're talking about online, offline, physical, digital, virtual. I mean, there's so many choices, right? And I have right. a process where I kind of help people narrow down. Like, you don't have to do all of it. You don't have to be in the metaverse and have a brick and mortar at the same time. Like, it depends. It really depends. If you have the essence part and you know who, um, who you're serving and who you identify as, it should be easier to figure out what that experience is. And the conversations, obviously, you know, um, we're in a conversation age now where um, those stories, 
we kick off, we start off engagements through stories, and then it um, it, it evolves into conversation, one-on-one -on -one relationships, um, uh, one-to-many relationships, um, conversations, and different topics, and those how they change. And the last part is the effects. So we've worked through the essence, the expressions, the experience, and the effects. And I added that part because what I realized a lot of times, particularly as things are changing a lot in, in the world um, day by day, is that there needs to be a really um, formalized way of understanding what the impact is. Because you could do a lot of stuff, right? You know, right. depending on your budget, you know, depending on your budget yeah. and, and your bandwidth. I mean, you could have a website and a NFT, or you could have a, you know, you could create a, a, a fashion show. You know, there's there's so many different things to, but you have to be able to measure those things. You know, what is the what's the effects that that what you're doing has on the brand, you know, internally, like what you're what um what the business goals are. And then also the perception with your audiences, because we know that, you know, as you engage with people and have conversations with people, sometimes they change and sometimes you need to change with them or other times you need to see that it's resonating with them. Right. And then, you know, obviously, you know, a, a lot of that is looking at at specific um, measurable um, goals. So, you know, are more people subscribing Are more people you could get as granular um, as subscription, but you could get something more as, um, more broad as, you know, do more people know that our brand even exists? Um, more the right people know that our brand exists. So it's those four key areas um, that I really focus on with the framework that I use. So, you know, identity um, slash expression, uh, essence, the expressions or the stories, the experiences, and then the, the effects. Interesting. So can you maybe give us some examples or some tips and tricks and, and maybe do it by like, I'm just starting out and I don't have a lot of money, or maybe I've been around for a while and I actually have some money to spend on some of these things. Because I think depending on where you kind of are in your, your startup or entrepreneurial journey, cash is, can be an issue or not so much anymore. Yep. Yeah, and and um, that's one of the things with with newer startups or or, or newer brands. Um, yeah, to to your point, it's it's both cash, cash, time, and expertise, right? So it's like yeah, I have the money, but then I don't have the time, and I don't have the expertise. Like I don't have somebody that works there. So so it's it and you know you're really optimizing for those those things as you as you're growing. Um, so with from a i'll start off kind of with with what i've what i learned um working with kind of large organizations with the budget right sure. um, and how this still um how i think that um brands that are smaller brands can actually have the same impact without the same budget so a um, number of years ago as i mentioned i was working with um uh, puma for their 2010 um, world cup campaign yeah and you know Puma is a large company. Most people have heard of it. Well, everyone has heard of it in some capacity, um, whether they have uh, affinity to it or not. Uh, but within the context of a World Cup or any kind of uh, event like that on the national stage, there's huge, there's a huge competition for eyeballs, for awareness, for for just engagement. So within the World Cup context, you have Puma, you have Nike, you have Adidas. Yeah. Puma could never, well, I'll say never, well, at least at that time, couldn't really outspend Nike for the World Cup. Like that's right. Nike just dominates, right? Um, they have a machine behind them. They have the budget X, Y, and Z. Um, so in, in that context, and Adidas is the same thing. In that context, though Puma has more budget than any startup currently, 
within that within that context, they were still the underdog. Right. So working with them, it's it's again still going back to that. What what is the essence of Puma that that could dif differentiate? And within um, and I have some some exercises that I work through with the creative teams and the clients, um, brand teams, you know, kind of the the executive teams, and essentially it's like really understanding. Okay, what is the unique value that you're bringing? What is the unique perspective? And with Puma, we did a few um, different exercises. Some ethnographic, you know, talking to some some customers, some current customers, some past customers, you know, those those kinds of things. And really, we f we figured out that it was that Puma for for all the World Cups previously had really been supporting and embedding themselves within African football. And okay. this was a perfect, um, and they've been supporting all the teams, like they've been um, creating all the kits for a lot of the African teams when, you know, no one, you know, Nikes or Adidas weren't really focused in that context. And for that World Cup in 2010, this is the first time the World Cup was going to be at um, in Africa, South Africa specifically. So while they couldn't outspend Nike, they had a unique differentiation advantage in the sense of um, they understood the culture more. You know, they had more um, uh, uh, partnerships and alliance and 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 just relationships within that context that they could then leverage. So they they don't need to buy the biggest ads, but they need to be able to. They already had a network, let's just say, that they could leverage. Right. So um, so what? So we walked through that. So we realized that that was a cute for that particular. Um, incident that's a key, um, uh, key area that they could use as leverage. And then we worked through some exercises and we did some interviews where we said, okay, so now that, that's what Puma could do and what, what's possible for Puma as far as brand awareness. So now let's understand the climate, the audiences themselves, because we know that again, audiences change, you know, climates change. So what we ended up um, with, with the campaign, which was the Love Equals Football campaign, which is like the, the, the key insight there for the audience was that there's this this um, collision of old and new, you know, the old kind of traditional uh, uh, culture and kind of how things were versus this new way of doing things, kind of the more metropolitan. And so that's kind of where the essence part of it, right, going through those exercises help you get um, get those two key areas, both for Puma and the audience. And then, you know, obviously, we're as we're going through that filter, we're saying, okay, now what are the kinds of stories, you know, as people um, as we do interviews and people start telling us, oh, I really like, you know, I li what what I re I remember when I was younger and I used to play football, you know, in my in you know we didn't even have goalposts, you know, we just put rocks, right? So as you're listening to those people's stories, and these are things that startups um, and and new um, brands could do already. Like it doesn't take much; you just have to talk to people, right, and listen right. to their stories, and then kind of say, hey, that's interesting. That's a unique way of people experiences, how now can I use that or um, uh, partner up with them to enhance that, bring that more to the front uh, forefront. And that's what we did um, with Puma, you know, and, and that came through in all the creative that you'll see around their, um, that campaign. So just that process alone, I'm working with, with a, um, a startup now, which is a new brand that's actually launching into um, the metaverse and NFT um, context. So they're fashion-focused fashion, um, um, brand and they're, they're um, facilitating um, fashion brands that are going into um, the metaverse, specifically digital fashion. Um, and that's kind of where, where they're, they're playing. They have a, a, a process and um, a product that helps facilitate that. Interesting. Brand new, they don't, sorry, go ahead. No, I don't, no, keep going, sorry. Yeah, so, so, it's, so it's the same process that I'm working with them. 
where it's like, okay, great. So what what do, what is the what is the unique value of your product? Like, what does it do, right? And what is the not what does it do from a mechanics perspective? Because we the, we do need to understand that. But like, what is the benefit to the end user? In this case, it's that uh, fashion. Um, fashion startups or emerging fashion companies or bigger fashion companies that don't have the, the knowledge, the expertise or ability to transfer their offline fashion to a digital context, they don't want to invest in that. The benefit here is that this company can now help facilitate that. And then the product, you know, you get into the product features, right? Um, right. Okay. So, so that's a benefit of that. It helps accelerate them into um, this virtual fashion. And, you know, so now, you know, there's this that 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 benefits and that lines between the 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 company itself and its customers. So, and we got to that by same same kind of processes, and then and that's why that's why I thought the framework was really interesting because the startup doesn't have the budget, right? I mean, they have to do things down and dirty. So the tools that we're using, we're doing kind of guerrilla style, like calling people, like going on people's Instagram and like, hey, can we talk to you? You know, can can you DM me so we could just have a quick chat, like that kind of stuff versus if you had the budget and Puma, you'd have a focus group and the surveys and all this kind of stuff, right? So the tactics, how you go about it um, changes, but you still need that output, which is going through the process to get to that key insights, get into the key, um, key benefit. So, yeah, so I mean, the, the ways to do it, how you do it changes, but what you're doing doesn't. And I think, and, and that's kind of where I focus, helping people understand and walk through that process so that they're not spending a lot of time, you know, with things that they either don't have the money for or not, it's not making the impact that they're, um, that they need in the time that they need. No, that that's actually really interesting because I think at least as somebody that's, kind of been on both sides where I've worked at companies that were just starting out or we actually have some money to spend on some things. It's, it still can be challenging no matter what size you are is to kind of find that niche to go after for that campaign or whatever you're trying to publicize, right? Because mm -hmm. especially if you're a new brand that nobody's ever heard of yet, trying to come up with a way to get in front of people mm -hmm. can be really challenging and very time consuming. Yeah, yeah, and I and the and it's one of the things that I learned even personally um, over the years is that you don't have to do everything yourself. It's about your resources, and I think um, in some cases, depending on the kind of startup or the kind of new company that's that's moving out, sometimes there's folks feel like they have to do it all. Right? right, like I have to be the CEO, the 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 CMO, the designer, the financial person, you know, because that's you know if you're if you're if you're uh, uh, bootstraps, like that's kind of what you have to do, right, to get things yeah. off the ground. Um, but I think there there is an opportunity for um, aligning with different people with the, um, expertise. Obviously, yeah. again, you know, budget budget depending on the budget and kind of being able to articulate what you want to do and what your budget is. Um, and you know, reaching out to the um, people with, with expertise like myself or even um, um, you all to to kind of walk you through at least a framework to get there. Now, whether you know whether I do the designs or whatever, like I actually don't do designs, I don't do copy, right? You know, right. so like yeah, yeah. stay in my lane in that in that in that sense. But whether I do what, how you do it, and when you do it is one thing. 
But I think being able to attain that knowledge and understanding the framework or the process to get to things helps. And then you can kind of, you know, go to whomever to design or output or create your, your website and everything. So I, I think partnering up with people who have that, that expertise is really important. And that's kind of, and, and, it, and for startups who are budget, um, budget uh, strapped, you know, it helps accelerate you too, right? So if you want to be the next Puma, um, you want to move fast, but you want to also work smarter. You want to work smarter and you want to, you want to be more memorable. And that's kind of um, what I encourage a lot of my, uh, my clients to do. Sure. Well, there's so many free or pretty inexpensive tools these days that will help you with your social media campaigns and your, your different things. But is there any other advice or ways that you've found that have worked to actually attract some of those audiences? Because I know it takes time and a lot of people think they set up an Instagram and a Twitter and other social media accounts and they're going to get like a million followers and like that takes years to get like that. And so what are some good ways you've found to actually attract some audiences? So I, I, I would start off with the best way to attract the right audience is fish where the right people are. Not every, not if you're looking, I'm not a fisherman, but if you're looking for (laughs) certain kind of fish, you know, you would, you first have to go to the pond or the, you know, body of water that those kind of fish exist, right? Right. And um, what I find with a lot of folks who go straight to, I I need to cast a, I need to cast a, 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 cast my hook, right? So, you know, they're just, but if you're fishing again, if you're fishing in the wrong place, you're going to get, so I, um, one of the things that um, I think is very important is, is audience insights. Right. Okay. So yep. before you before you start doing the do and being out there, understand who those audiences do that recon, do that that audit or that that the, that research. And it's very painful. I understand. Like folks want to like do something, but they don't want to spend the time doing the planning. Um, one of the great tools that I found, and it's a it's a uh, it's a they have a free um, uh, tier, and then they also have kind of um, on tier payment, but it's a tool called Spark Toro, and it's very inexpensive. Uh, I think even their their um, their the first paid tier is probably about fifty dollars a month or something like that. Okay. Um, and you know, and it's a tool that I use all the time, even with my larger and smaller clients. So having a tool like that to get quickly get that audience um, insight is really key. A tool like Spark Toro, or if you have the budget, something like Qualtrics or some of you know the more established um, tools will quickly you could put put in somebody's um, uh, website or or uh, or social handle, and they've already done the work of 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 analyzing those handles, and they'll output you. They'll output the data around who who what kind of people are um, are following that 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 um, that Instagram account. You know what do they like? What do they normally talk about? You know hashtags that they use in X Y and Z. So those kind of tools, something like that, and SparkToro, as, as I mentioned, has a free. So for startups, you could like you could literally go to SparkToro right now and um, get an account for free. And I think they have like the free versions, like five searches or something like that a month. And you could punch in your competitor or whoever, or even yourself if you want to really get it. And you punch <laughs> it in, and it will output and say, "This is the profile of the kind of people that are where they are, what the the pond that they're in, and what they're doing in that pond." 
And then you could obviously just kind of move to that and say, okay, well, we want to be there. Um, so that's kind of one really down and dirty, really quick way to do it. Um, I also have a, um, I created a cheat sheet from a, uh, that's focused around um, using the, the the key areas of my um, smarter brand framework that asks that people could download and it it asks questions. It, it says it asks you the questions. It walks you through the kinds of things that you would want to be doing if you go to a tool like SparkToro. Do you want um, what what is what are you trying to do? What are they talking about? What are the stories that they're telling? Like those kinds of things. Really down and dirty. Fifteen minutes um, audit. It's probably as much as a lot of brand brand new startups could do and i and that's a free tool that i i have on my website that um, folks could just download and use and what's the url for that um the url so you could go to g kofi annan so that g k o f i a n n a n and i'll i'll make it um unique so i'll so just g kofi annan slash bftf so building the future perfect no that's cool man so I'm curious, is there any other tools like that that you use or have used in the past and maybe give us an example of how you used it? Sure. I'll, I'll, the age old, the, sometimes we look for brand new ways of doing things where sometimes the way that we, the down and dirty, you know, the tried and true ways also work. So I'll say one of the things that I use, regardless of the budget or the kind of client or the kind of industry, one of the key things that I um, I use and anyone could use are surveys, email surveys, asking people, asking people, right? You know, uh, whether it be through email or jumping on on a um, on a call with someone, it could okay. be your best customer. So so for for companies, I worked with a um, a brand a number of years ago that had um, it was in a concrete. Um, space really interesting. Didn't know concrete was that complicated, but <laughs> <Sure. detailed. laughs> when yeah. you get into these industries, it's like, wow, I didn't know concrete. I thought it was just concrete. Um, but you know, they was they they had been around for for about uh, uh, ten years. They were called Cystine Technologies, so the technology okay. um, uh, product for concrete, uh, uh, the concrete industry. Um, and they had a, a number of different products, and they've been around for a number of years. Um, so they kind of were known, but they, you know, they 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 had acquired a lot of their products. So it was a little bit of a mishmash of, you know, like from the naming and how they how they were even identified and how they all added up to to Cystine's the the core company. It's a little confusing. You kind of didn't know which tool did what. Some of them duplicated those kinds of things. Um, so when when I was working with them, you know, they were like, oh, we need to. You know, we need to rebrand and and we need to pivot. You know, we need to um, uh, get rid of some of these products, but we kind of don't know what the right things to do because we do have customers that, you know, how do we manage customers that um, had that were familiar with with certain products? You know, again, this is kind of more of a medium sized startup uh, type uh, thing with a lot of products, and they wanted to do a lot of things. They had a all right budget, but really, the first thing that we did. One of the first things that we did was, oh, okay, so you have customers already. Okay, let's pick a couple of your best customers, like people who are like, oh my gosh, these people, like they, they, they literally keep the lights on. Like if they go away, like I would, like I want to duplicate those folks. Right. Pick a couple of your best customers, a couple of your worst customers, so folks that you had kind of a problem with um, or, you know, weren't really spending money with you anymore. And we're going to reach out to them and do and just have a conversation with them. 
right? And you know, it's called stakeholder, stakeholder interviews. So you know, you come up with certain kinds of questions, and we um, create those questions. And so, in the case of some folks that are like, eh, I don't want to get on a phone or a Zoom, and you know, <laughs> just yep. you know, I I I would like to give you um, input, but I don't really want to do that. You could send out this <laughs> literally a survey, a Google form, <laughs> create sure. a Google form, plug it in there, send it to them, right? Like, okay, that's that's easy, right? And then, of course, the more complicated way is like you get on the, on the call with them and you actually have the conversation and, re and um, record those stories. And particularly in that kind of a context, you want to pull out the stories that people are telling you, not just the, oh, I logged in and my account said X, Y and Z, and that's why I didn't use it anymore. But you want you want to dive um, um, deeper. So how you know? Why did you do this? You know, and there's a there's a framework um, that a lot of strategists use called the five whys. So just keep asking asking why. I logged in and I I stopped spending money with you um, because I logged in one day and my accounts didn't look right. Why did you feel that that was a problem? Well, da 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 da. Right. Why is that, you know? So if at about five whys, you've kind of gotten to kind of the key benefit or the the story that either they've told themselves because sometimes. Folks, it's just feelings, right? It's emotions. Right. Um, but you know, so you you understand the deeper need or the deeper conflicts that folks are are um, are that's resonating them, helping them, and the things why people are making those decisions, whether it be a positive decision as it relates to the brand to the brand or negative decisions. Like I don't like you because X, Y, and Z. Well, I had a um, I had a, a professor some years ago, <laughs> and everybody hated him. Because they're like, oh my gosh, his name was Ben Jones. I love him so much. And he was an art professor, you know, drawing. And people hated, oh, he's so hard. He's just so difficult. And he was my best professor because he <laughs> would always ask you why. Interesting. Because you we had this session where you would put up your drawings or your, you know, whatever your your the assignment was. And you were like, well, and you had to describe it. Hey, I did this because X, Y, and Z. And of course, you know, we're we're college students. We're like, oh yeah, I I, I picked blue because. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, no. Why? Well, blue is why is blue nice? Well, blue is not. And he would walk you through that. It's very painful, right? At first. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You get it. But you know, it it helps you get down to the core reason that people are making decisions in a positive or a negative sense. You know, it, why did they choose experiences? Why did they not choose experience? Why did they choose brands? Why did they not choose um other brands? Product, same thing. Interesting that you bring that up because I had a similar experience, um, but I was taking this design class a number of years ago at uh, UCLA in California. And the one thing that blew me away was we were not at computers at all. We were in a lecture hall mm -hmm. and every week we had an assignment and we had to print off our designs, even if it was web. And the first thing we had to do when we got into class is everybody had to just like duct tape or their designs to the basically like blackboard at the front of the room. Yeah, and mm -hmm. every every student, and then the teacher would go last, had to go through everybody's design and say yeah. what they liked about it. And the key was you had to say why, like what you liked, yeah. what you didn't like, what it meant to you. And there was people from different parts of the world and, and different backgrounds and stuff. And what was really, really fascinating to me about that is, there's certain things you don't think of, especially when you bring in somebody like somebody else's cultural references. And the one that kind of came up all the time was like, if you think of the colors like red, white, and blue, everybody's like, well, that's America. 
But if you're in mm -hmm. parts of Europe, you'd probably say, yeah. well, that's France, right? And it sounds mm -hmm. kind of stupid, but like when you look at things like that objectively and you have people point out like, oh, this to me means this or this to me means that, you're like, wow, I never thought of it like that. And I found that to be so eye-opening. And I think if we did that more as like startup founders or people working mm -hmm. at companies and we just put up some of these different ideas and got a bunch of people from the company to say like, what do you think of this or what does this mean to mm -hmm. you? And you take that honest, brutal feedback you will learn so much and get so much insight from just people in your office. And you don't need 10, you could do it with like three to five people. Right. Exactly. And I, I found that really useful. And I know it's not directly what you just mentioned, but I, that was something for me that worked and blew my mind. And I still think about that from time to yeah, time. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It, it, and it is, it is exactly that. Um, we're living in a time now, especially the past two years, right? Like yeah. talk about uncertainty, you know, if you're launching, you know, now or you launch a couple of years ago, like uncertainty, you're like you're you're living uncertainty for forever, right? And yeah. and as much as some folks are more com comfortable with uncertainty, generally nobody likes it. Like, you know, like yeah. everyone wants to, right? You know, we can yeah. fool ourselves to think like, oh no, it's fine. I don't mind if things change every month. No, <laughs> and 100%. and more importantly, you can't build a business on like constant change in that context, right? Like, yep. you know, you're not going to have the brand awareness. You're not going to really build the customers or the audiences that are right for you. If you're changing your your product every day and you like, you know, that that level of iteration only hurts the brand and it, you know, it, and it hurts the, 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 the market or the industry as well. So you do, so uncertainty is something that we're living through. Uh, but with that, the, the the companies and the brands that are able to live through that and evolve. You look at someone like Nike, which is a multi-billion dollar company, totally. right? Yeah. And they're iterating and they're evolving and they're 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 innovating the you know cliche word at an accelerated pace within this context, particularly because they have a framework and a structure and they are always asking, right? Yeah. Nike has you know, Nike, Nike is one of those companies that we see their products and we, we buy their products and we see them for what the output is, but they have just as much data around their customers um, and they, both the customers' behaviors, the beliefs, emotional, all that kind of stuff as any other my, um, Amazon, Apple, and all that kind of stuff. Nike ID, any of the, if you've dealt with Nike on even from a um, brick and mortar, like a Nike store, or you've yeah. done anything with Nike online, Nike has just as much information about what you like, right? And it's, in some cases, it's creepy and, you know, but ideally, you Nike's also asking you a lot. If you're a yeah. Nike customer, you see, you know, how do you feel about this? And those kind of, you know, tossing it out over time helps Nike understand how people's beliefs, identities, and cultures are changing. And then they can take that, because they have such a, a, a stringent framework and process internally, from a product perspective and from a from an insights perspective, be able to take that outside information, turn it through their their the tried and true process, and boom, you have them buying um, artifacts, which is like a, a, a one of the, the the key case studies for NFT sales in the fashion industry, right? They bought the just bought that company, right? Um, so how did they Nike even know NFT? I mean, uh, um, artifact exists existed was because Nike is on top of that. Like they're constantly looking at the landscape and they're constantly digesting and they're like, okay, we need to move in this space. Okay, we don't want to invest our money. Is that acquisition make more sense? Yes, let's acquire this company. Yeah, no, that's that's actually really quite fascinating because 
I think too, as I, well, this has always been the case, but I think the pandemic has really made, especially if you're a startup that's only online is you have a global audience now. And just because you're based somewhere in the world doesn't mean your first or your most popular users might be in a totally different country, right? Like there's a lot of startups that are in America, but they are really popular in, you know, some part of Europe, right? Mm-hmm. And it got a hold traction there before they got traction in their own country. And I think just understanding maybe why that is and how to kind of nourish that before you maybe go to other places and, and try to move, you know, maybe back to your other and the rest of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I also, so part of, I mean, I, I consult and I, I work with um, larger clients, but I also right. work with a lot of um, uh, incubators and accelerators okay. as well, you know, from yeah. an advisory perspective, because I, I do feel that a lot of founders and entrepreneurs have ideas and I, ideas, whether it be a product or an experience or whatever, have ideas that the world does need. Right. Sure. Um, and, you know, it might for whatever reason, whether it be location or budget or, you know, expertise, whatever, like they they have they they might have hurdles to getting it out there, at least from a from a, a mass market perspective. Um, so I I'm one of the advisors for an uh, organization called um, TAF, which is a, a fashion incubator in Singapore. Oh, um, so it's focused on, you know, they, they have um, cohorts um, every quarter, every uh, yes, every quarter. And, you know, again, they're primarily focused on fashion um, uh, brands. So you're talking about traditional fashion or some folks are doing some stuff more in a digital um, context. And and to your point, you know, a lot of folks are like, oh, great. You know, I had a, a, a one of the folks I was advising, which was a, um, a fashion company that was really focused on genderless fashion. Right. Okay. So that's kind of for yeah. the U.S. That's very kind of like fashion, you know, culturally, it's it's a little bit more acceptable, a little more. But they're a Singaporean company and their current customers are Singaporean, right? So, ah, yeah. you know, from a culture perspective and, and beliefs, you know, the, the, mar- the market wasn't as accelerated in as far as the um, gender norms um, right. as the U.S. So okay. when, I, when, I, um, when I started talking to that company, the first thing was, oh, okay, I want to, you know, Singapore, you know, da, 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 whatever. I don't know if I could work in Singapore. I want to come to the U.S. Like, well, yes. <laughs> right, kind of, sort yeah, of, sure. right. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. that. <laughs> What's your budget? What you know, same, same, same kind of questions, right? Um, but let's crawl before we work because there is some things that you could, you could, you could, um, some leverage and some things that you could do locally that could prepare you for entering the U.S. market, which is a much bigger market and a lot more. Right. As from the outside in, you see kind of somewhat homogenous. There's even more fragments in in the U.S. market, um, depending totally. on which industry you are. So. You know, my my counsel, my advice to them was okay. Let's look at the Singaporean market. Singapore is still a big city. It's a it, it's a it's a international hub. You know, like it's still sure kind of a a, a a a it still reflects kind of the New Yorks of the world. So let's look right. at that. Let's kind of look at that fragmentation. Let's look at those cu- that um that cu- the customer base. Let's look at what you're trying to do with this gen- genderless fashion thing. Like, what does that even mean, right? How do you articulate it? What's the story around it? Why are you even why, why are you, why should anybody listen to you and buy from your company? At, um, because you said you want to do this genderless fashion. Like what makes you the, 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 the poster person for that. Right. Sure. You know, if, if I was into that, why would I buy from you? So 
we went through some exercises kind of helping um, that uh, that team, it's two people in that in this case, really understand, okay, why are we passionate about this whole thing, right? Let's articulate right. that, let's tell the stories, let's kind of like get that down on paper, let's clarify specifically why we're interested. Okay, so if we're interested in this, what in the local market, who else is into what kinds of people are interested in that? You know, what, what do they look like? How do they spend their money? And we go through, and this is a rapid thing. So this is not like six months of research, right? Because the right, startup, right. we don't have the time and, it, you know, like budget, like you need to do this really quickly. And that, again, that's where um, I really um, focus on um, the smarter brand framework to like, to move quickly. Like even bigger brands, I would argue, still don't even have the six months they used to think they have, right? So, right. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. So, you know, we walked through that and really they found an opportunity within the local Singaporean um, uh, market with a, with, with a certain kinds of folks who are, um, who are already buying or, or, um, uh, using or, uh, engaging with certain kinds of brands that from a finance, from a finance perspective, that we looked at, you know, what, what they're spending in the price points and stuff really did match this, what this company could do locally. So instead of spending all the money to, you know, advertise and, and go global with the U S and, you know, and kind of be a, a, a small fish in a big pond. Let's try and be a big fish in a small pond first. Right. Learn the trial that, and then I'll move to the U.S. So yeah, I mean, you you everyone's global every like off the bat, but I would argue that that a lot of startups take take that too literally sometimes, right? So right. like, well, I just want to, I just want to go to everyone. Well, if you're if you're going to everyone, then you're not of value to anyone. And yeah, that's fair. Really is, like, who are you trying to find the value and where they where they exist? No, I I actually think that's that's really good advice, and and people should really consider that when they're they're looking at different things. But sadly, we're out of time. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and any other links you want to mention? Sure, sure. So everyone can find me. I'm I'm online on most of the, particularly LinkedIn. Twitter, Instagram, but uh, my website is gkofianan, G-K-O-F-I-A-N-N-A-N.com. And as I mentioned, I, I have the, the brand audit that folks could uh, could go there and download. So just go to gkofianan.com slash BFTF. And I'll have that brand brand audit, 15, 15 minute brand audit. So folks could like quickly understand how they're perceived and what they want to change. Um, yeah, so folks could just go and download that for free. Well, Kofi, I really, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day, man. Thank you. This is a great conversation. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.